Hello, and welcome to Fairfax 50 Plus, a series featuring discussions on issues of interest to residents 50 and over. I'm your host, Jim Person, and on this edition of the Fairfax 50 Plus podcast, we'll be talking with Kathy Muha about health and life care planning and why it's important to do a moral and spiritual evaluation before developing those plans. Now, Kathy describes herself as a professional patient advocate. She's a, She has a Master of Science in Health Science and is a member of the Fairfax Fairfax Area Commission on Aging, representing the Sully District. She has substantial experience providing support and advocacy to patients in health care settings, and this includes her volunteer work with the Northern Virginia Long-Term Care Ombudsman Program and Heartland Hospice. Currently, she's a facilitator for Georgetown University School of Medicine, where she teaches an introduction to clinical ethics. And in her free time, Kathy enjoys friends and family, Bible study, biking, and community service. And Kathy, thanks for being with us on the Fairfax 50 Plus podcast. Thanks for having me this morning. Absolutely. Glad that you are here to talk about a, a pretty interesting topic that uh, maybe a lot of folks don't talk about or are aware of, I guess. Is that a good way to, to say it? Yeah. Because I, I know when I'm, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking there's a couple of main areas we want to talk about first, health and life care planning, and then this moral and spiritual evaluation kind of thing that we do before we start planning. Um I'll, I'll be honest, I don't know that I know a lot about this topic. Do you think that's true? Oh, I think it's very typical. Okay. And in fact, what I'm attempting to do is to bring to the general population um, some ideas about how to reframe the way that we make decisions, in particular regarding our health care decision making. Okay. We do it on a regular basis when you talk about how you're going to plan um, to go to college mm-hmm how you select the person you're going to spend your life with, Hmm. um, how you're going to raise your children, what types of people and activities you surround yourself with based on your own interests. And in the community at large, as far as the medical community is concerned, in, within the healthcare institutions um, and medical schools, we've begun to reframe the conversation with the medical students about how they need to look at their patients, the type of information they need to elicit oh, from their patients okay. to help them make better healthcare decisions. So what now I'm asking the general population to do is to prepare themselves to make decisions the same way that they've been making decisions all okay. along, okay. but in the arena of college choices, home buying, um, picking out a 529 vehicle to make sure you have the finances to right. send your child to right. college, your 401k. I would like people to look at the care plan for life um, as that sort of decision-making process where they spend some time thinking about their belief system, their spirituality, their family, their finances, and how it all plays into um, a, st- a structure and a hierarchy as they make decisions for healthcare, not just at the end of your life. Okay, okay. But at the very beginning, because the moment we're born, we all begin dying. Right. No one wants to say that. True. What well, is is it? And this is a cliche. Is mm-hmm. it that we're so busy with life that we don't do the the life planning? To some degree, but I believe personally that culturally. People don't like to discuss the mm. end of life. True, true. And it, and it happens sometimes far into the future. But if you're making decisions along the continuum that are relatively consistent and are apparent to your health care provider mm-hmm. and to your family, 
then it makes those decisions a lot easier for people that may be left in charge of your decision making, may be more um, easy to palate for people who are within your family and friends structure if you mm. make decisions along the continuum of your life right. that they may or may not agree with, but seem to weave themselves into the fabric of your life, so make them very understandable to other people. So we don't have, you know, I don't think we have enough time to fully get into all of this topic, right. just kind of scratching the surface, at least from, from my limited understanding. But when you're talking about life and healthcare planning, what are, what are some of the, a couple of things that we're, we're talking about, like specifics? What do you, what do you mean, life Specific, and healthcare planning? Specifically, I'm talking about um, at the very crux of, of all of this is the patient-physician relationship. Okay. And okay. historically, it was more of a covenant which has this tone of sacredness where there are unconditional promises made between two people mm. that there um, is a promise that this relationship will benefit the other person in the relationship, that there's a level of commitment and forgiveness and permanence that, that is different from a contract. And so originally that is the way the patient-physician relationship began. The physician had information that the patient needed. And in their mm -hmm. vulnerability right. of illness, the physician entered into this covenant with their patient that they would do good for them mm -hmm. and that they would respect their autonomy and they would take care of them to the best of their ability and they would not abandon them. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, the way that healthcare services are provided now, technology has taken over. There's, there's a plethora of choices of, right. of treatments. Right. Um, and so it, is, it has become more of a paradigm of, of profit-making and services. And physicians are attempting desperately to bring back hmm. the, the element of a more personal covenant-based relationship. And so what I'd like to see happen is have patients be able to enter into that covenant with their physician when they're 21 and they make that first contact with the primary care physician of mm -hmm. their selection, that they come to the table that very first appointment with an idea of how their belief system, how their community, how their family and their finances play into their decision making so that together with their All physician, right. they start out on this continuum of life with the best information to make the best decisions hmm. for that patient. And it makes it easier for the physician then to care for that patient and yeah, help, help provide them with the best choices available. Right. That sounds well and good, but that doesn't sound easy. No, not at all, which is why we need both the physician and the patient involved. And I think the patient can often remind, you know, we do these facilitations with small groups um, and bioethics with medical students in their first and second years, um, and we talk to them about these case studies and situations and how they need to approach their patients respecting their, their belief systems, their community, their cultural identities, but if the patients aren't coming to the relationship with the same sorts hmm. of interest and participation level and passion, then it makes it difficult for the physician to do that. Okay. I know there's a lot more I could ask and talk about that, but there's several things we want to make sure, sure we get to. And, and one of it was this kind of patient advocate, which we talked about. You are right. being a patient advocate, but I'm also assuming that Anyone can be a patient advocate, even Abs for yourself? Absolutely. And that's really what this approach should elicit, is that patients will be empowered to advocate for themselves. Oh, okay. Um, 
But anyone can advocate for, for a family, family member. member right? okay, yeah. They can advocate for themselves. Um, all you need to do is, is be aware. There's some tenets that people need to be aware of is that, first, that there is this basic respect for humankind and mm. that no matter what the basic condition of the patient is, they still are due the respect that human life provides. And so as their family member or as a professional advocate, we always respect a patient's autonomy and their right to self-determination, um, mm. making their decisions if, in fact, they are capable of doing so. Okay, right, um, right. And, and we also work with the idea that, that physicians basically are there to provide good for the patient, to do them no harm, and to make sure that they are adequately cared for and that health care services are provided throughout the population in an adequate and fair way. Hmm. Um, so as advocates, we, we work on those basic tenets, um, spend a lot of time listening and trying to find out a lot about the patient and how they feel about the decisions that they are making, which is why if you've considered these early, then when a crisis oh, okay. comes All comes up, back around, yeah. Exactly. Okay. Now, if I'm a patient advocate for you, mm -hmm. for instance, say, is it is it implied? Is it verbal? Is it written? Are there contracts? Are there documents that need to be had or taken uh, done ahead of time to to make it easier? I guess for myself as an advocate, or to ensure the patient's safety, et cetera. I mean. What, Most what? of my work as a patient advocate, it's all done voluntarily. And Fairfax County has an ombudsman program where volunteer advocates go out into the long-term care facilities. Uh, but certainly, um, in a very rudimentary way, families are advocating for their family members all the time. That's true, right. Um, you know, in primary care facilities, at the physician's office, in a dental office, um, you're advocating for yourself on a regular basis and your family members as well if you're in a position where you may not be able to. Okay. But as a, uh, as a patient advocate, say, with the long-term care ombudsman program, I know they're not just going to throw you out mm -hmm. there if you volunteer. There's training There's and th training things program. that you have to be aware of. Exactly. And, yeah, and okay. then you meet regularly with the social workers in the facility, if need be the hospital administrator to take care of problems. Okay. It's really about building relationships of trust. Again, mm. speaking to that covenant, this basic respect um, and and honor that mm. you have for a patient okay. to find out how they are, if the facility is meeting the needs of the patient, if there's anything that you can do to make their um, stay in the facility, you know, more pleasant, mm -hmm. whether it's, you know, a short-term stay or a long-term stay, whether we're meeting their needs spiritually from a belief standpoint, you know, whether whether they want their family dog to come in. And, and believe it or not, in some situations, um, culturally, patients don't want to make their own decisions. And so as advocates, we need to find out what their cultural beliefs and traditions are and make sure that everyone on staff is respectful of those um, decision-making mm -hmm. Um, or decision makers, right. because we're such an individualistic <clears throat> society that we all believe that we should have primary decision making, right. but other cultures don't feel the same way. Huh. So in our pluralistic society, 
we need to be very careful and honor those traditions the same way we do our own. Okay. I had wanted to get back to this question because I know in the beginning we talked about uh, doing this moral and spiritual evaluation mm-hmm. before we begin a lot of our, our planning process. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of talk about that a little bit again because you just were kind of going over some of the, the spiritual aspects, right. difference in culturals and, the, and that kind of thing. Um, so first, I guess, as, as a person, as you're doing the evaluation, how does my culture and, and my ethnic orientation affect my decision-making? Okay. You know, am I someone that believes in extraordinary means in healthcare? Am I someone that that um, believes that medication and treatments, or am I someone who believes in a more holistic approach with with a um, okay. more, you know, herbal or massage based or something that involves um, empowering my own immune system hmm. as opposed to traditional medic medicine? Okay. Um, because culture plays into that heavily. Um, how do I feel for my community? Is my community important to me? Do I want them around me if I have a health care crisis? Do I, do I need them for support? <coughs> Excuse me. That's all right. Um, do I want them regularly involved in my health care? Okay. All right. um, how does my community feel? What kind of pressure does my peer group place on me? Do they believe in blood transfusion or not transfusion? If, mm. I de- if I decide personally to have a blood transfusion, am I now going to be alienated from a peer group? That's very oh, important to yeah. me. I hadn't thought about that. Um, dialysis, you know, is it important? Um, and then what if I need to have treatment outside of my community? Is my community very supportive and will will follow me and right. support me and take me to those places? I, a lot of those questions are things I, I would not have thought about. Absolutely. And, and I guess that's what you're saying is a lot of people don't think about right. that. Right. And you need to take the time before you have a crisis, before yeah. you're sick, because it does play into wellness as well. Because if you think about it, how does your community affect your approach to wellness? Hmm. Who do you run with? Who do you go to the gym with? Who do you um, – play chess with once right. a week or bridge. You know, who are those people that support you and help you maintain a level of physical and mental wellness hmm. um, on a daily basis? Right. Interesting. We talked about you being a volunteer. Uh, and we're, by the way, folks, we're talking with Kathy Muha uh, about health, life care, planning, uh, a lot of life evaluation, I guess, uh, right. as we're going going through life toward the end of life. And I wanted to get kind of to that part, right. which is not, you know, the the fun part that a, right. lot, a lot of folks like to talk about, as you mentioned earlier, that, that kind of end-of-life planning. But there are documents uh, and, and things that folks should consider uh, having in place. Absolutely. Can, can you kind of discuss that a little bit and what, what those documents are and Absolutely. purpose? Absolutely. So to me, these, these documents that we're talking about are the fruits of the labor after you've spent this time this whole life of planning right? yeah you okay plan your life you've planned for everything Interesting. else okay. why not plan and make these documents the fruits of your labor okay so that that you've spent time considering how you feel about end of what will then be end of life care choices as well will make the filling out the documentations the advanced directives which will determine what kinds of treatment you would prefer or not prefer at the end of life okay um whether or not you would like to be resuscitated or not resuscitated, and what given situations um, mm. that would that would include for you, um, and the most important thing is if you've dealt with your physician along this path, 
he will be integral in helping you fill out some of these forms, oh, yeah. okay. direct you in how you need to um, go about filling out the forms, and then be fully prepared to walk this end-of-life care journey with you uh, mm. because there are health care proxies so that you can fill out this form, determine who will make your health care decisions, and that gives you the opportunity to talk to someone. One of my favorite um, exercises with medical students is to give them an advance directive from their state, tell them to decide who they'd like to make their health care decisions, go home and talk to them. And I would bet 50% of them come back and the person they selected is not the person that can make those decisions for them in a crisis. Oh, and so they have to pick someone else. Uh, so it's time wow. before you reach that crisis. Yeah. Uh, you spend a lot of time evaluating your belief system and how your finances and your family and your community play into the decisions that you make. Um, and then the paperwork that follows is just the, the mm. fruit of your labor. It, it's, uh, I guess with any type of planning, it sounds difficult and overwhelming at first, mm -hmm. but it but it maybe is not quite as overwhelming or difficult as it sounds. I mean, there's there's some work. There's some effort right. that's going to have to take place, but right. worth and doing. Absolutely. And you need to be fearless. Like everything else, people talk about retirement when they're 30, when they sit down with their financial planner. Right. So we have to be unafraid. I mean, death is a universal experience. Right. Death and taxes, right? Absolutely. <laughs> but you're going to be doing, I understand, a presentation coming up in May as part of the uh, was it the the uh, caregiver series that will will uh, I think it's called Care Plan for Life seminar. Right. Are you going to try to answer some of these questions? I'm going to and... answer some of these questions. Okay. Give another um, general summation of what I've just spoken with you about, and then I'll be bringing some of the Virginia documents oh, that okay. we've talked about. Not that I want anyone to fill them out at this seminar because, as I've just indicated to you, I think people need to think long and hard yeah. about these decisions. Yeah. And once you have decided what kinds of treatments that, that are appropriate for you, then you can work with your family and with your physician um, within this covenant, this relationship that you've spent a lifetime building. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And instead of becoming a healthcare provider, he's now returned to being your doctor and you're his patient, and you have this relationship, hmm. um, and that even when there's no more treatment left, there's always care to be had. Right. And so that your right. physicians will be caring for you uh, across the continuum of your right. life. Right. Okay. Interesting. You've 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 made it full, made it come, kind of come full circle, and kind of right. kind of I have a vision of this, kind of a, a much better understanding before we started this. So, right. so thank well, you very much. Absolutely. And for and for me, my circle is that. If we can get people to come to the deathbeds of their loved one, the way that we run to the nurseries, because life oh, is wow. a circle. Wow. And so if we can appreciate the sacredness and honor the lives by approaching the deathbed the same way you do the crib in the nursery, mm. then then life will be complete. Yeah. I had another question I was going to ask, but I, I think that's the perfect way to end it right there. That was a, the, a great summation of what we're talking about. So thanks for uh, for being with us on the Fairfax 50 Plus podcast. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Kathy Muha with us on the Fairfax 50 Plus podcast. Uh, uh, some great information today. And again, we'll talk about that seminar coming up in just a minute so you can make sure you uh, get that uh, on your calendar. Uh, if you 
need to get answers to any questions you may have on this subject, you can go online to fairfaxcounty.gov slash olderadults and click on the Commission on Aging link. And when you get to that page, then click on the Email the Commission on Aging link. Uh, and again, as we mentioned, you may also want to attend the presentation that Kathy is giving this spring. It's part of the county's caregiver seminar. She's going to present a Care Plan for Life seminar. It's May 10th from 7 to 8.30 p.m. It's going to be at the Sully Government Center. And to register for this, as well as the other seminars and webinars, just go online again to fairfaxcounty.gov slash olderadults and click on Spring 2017 Caregiver Seminars. Now, also remind you, you can find county older adult uh, and services and recreation and community engagement opportunities by also calling 703-324-7948. The TTY number is 711, and that's Monday through Friday. Or again, online, same link, fairfaxcounty.gov slash older adults. And if you haven't already... Be sure when you're on that page to subscribe to the monthly Golden Gazette newspaper as well as Fairfax 50 Plus e-news. And you can also find the link for our new Facebook page. So be sure to like that page so that you'll receive updates. I want to thank you for listening to Fairfax 50 Plus podcast, which is produced twice monthly by the Fairfax County, Virginia government.